Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. It's time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Nubo and Dave Tree. That's not true. That's impossible. about the morality of violence, you know, and, 
and what uh, and the cost for that to the human soul, you know? Like, you so could bring it around, right? Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think about that next time you celebrate it, so I'm getting your head cut off with a lightsaber, my friend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to say after that. Everything they said. Uh, but hope is Star Wars is still going to work to me and continually looking at whether you're a farm boy from nowhere, uh, a true Jedi, somebody who was a Jedi, not the Jedi Order, or a pilot. Like, literally anyone can make the choice to stand up and fight and look forward to a brighter future. And that always gets me. Uh, so I love the love about Star Wars. Um, by which I mean, when I was little, you know, my, my brothers and my sister and my, my dad, and to an extent my mom, we all love this thing together. Uh, and as I've grown with Star Wars, uh, I've found so many more people who love Star Wars, like everyone in this room and, and everyone on this panel. And, and uh, it's just the shared thing that we can all adore and, and mull over endlessly and talk about with our friends. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, and, and the morality of it. <laughs> Um, when I was a kid, the movie hadn't come out yet, and my brother uh, and I got action figures from uh, our, our mom, and I had seen the film yet, we had seen the film yet, and so my brother got what appeared to be a golden van, and I got what appeared to be a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, what Star Wars is ultimately about is how, uh, ultimately, and this is what all the stories are about, I don't care what anyone on this table uh, tells you, or anyone in the you guys either. It's ultimately the story about how a scrappy trash can can save the universe. <laughs> so for me, it's about some opportunity. Uh, you know, it's like the Ewoks. Like, really? Is that I was told if I were attending that I would get one. And, uh, no, um, for me, there's a generational component to Star Wars. I really adore, um, I think there's been a kind of a Star Wars trilogy now for almost every generation uh, after mine, including mine. And uh, my own son, seven years old, is kind of finding his own uh, Star Wars trilogy and his own uh, sort of generational component. And I feel like the new trilogy kind of talks about that, even deals with sort of how Star Wars passes along from generation to generation and the costs of that and the joy of that. And so I like seeing it on screen and I like seeing it in all of us. Separatist movement, and everyone's still kind of chill with it. They're like, 
I used to be a Jedi, he's fine. And just the idea of how he sort of fits into like the decline of the Jedi and how much they underestimate him and you know what he's become. That was and also just when I write I can usually hear the actor voices, so I just got to spend a few days hearing this really talk in my head, which was super cool. <laughs> and these uh, these launch in December. Again, it's four years for them, I know you've thrown the signing very soon. Uh, where can people find you with the show? What else are you working on? You want a couple crowds before you have to jet off to your next? Uh, well, I also, uh, the first non-adaptation Star Wars book I did was the Poe Dameron Annual, because Charles, uh, and that uh, should be out, I guess, in the next trade, I think. Uh, and uh, I also am doing, like, Doctor Who and Stranger Things and some other <laughs> stuff people have heard of. Uh, I'm in Artist Alley at J15. I'm not sure I'll be back here today, but I'll definitely be there quite a bit uh, tomorrow and Sunday. While we're on the subject of our age loves, let's move over to Mr. Greg Pack for the Age of Rebellion. Uh, Greg, you've got the, the honor or the fear, you could say, of writing probably the most iconic characters from the start of the side. What is that like? What was your approach? Did, they, did it frighten you? Did it scare you? Did it intimidate you? What was it like? It was, it was awesome. Uh, I, uh, I've been working in comics for a long time, and every time I work on a, um, you know, I, I'm constantly working on classic characters, you know, like I, I've written the Hulk, I've written Superman, and, and every time I, uh, if I think about it too much, I'll freak myself out, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're, you're working on these characters that are iconic and that giants created and you can breathe life into, um, but, uh, but then, you know, you have to, I, I think about this too. We talk a lot about, um, about uh, what's true, what's the, what, what's the word for insecure writers when we have the, the... Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. We talk about imposter syndrome. Who am I to be writing this? I suggest taking the opposite approach. I, I suggest as a writer say, I am the perfect person to write this story because of the experiences I've had, the stories that are in my head, and I've got a story to tell. And, um, and so I've, I've, I've tried to be really cocky. I'm channeling Han Solo here, if you can't tell. Uh, and, uh, and just embrace it and, um, and, and seize this incredible opportunity to play with these characters that I've loved since I was, yes, nine years old. Um, okay, well, Lando I've loved since I was like 11, right? Because I came out a few years ago. No, actually, even longer. Well, anyway. Um, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it, the, the thing that I've really loved about it is that as I've watched and rewatched and rewatched these movies now, um, I'm picking up on things that I didn't even notice for the first time or I just took for granted. And just all these little character bits. Like, the most recent thing was like, I love the way Harrison Ford looks freaking terrified every time he's doing something big, some big action sequence. You know, he's running down the hallway. He looks, he looks he's freaking out. You know, he's not like the stalwart hero with the, you know, set jaw. He's, you know, he's not John Wick, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's Han Solo. Han Solo has no idea what he's doing, you know? Um, and as a kid, I wasn't thinking about that, but I was feeling it. And as a writer now, it's, it's such a gift to have those kinds of little details of these brilliant actors brought to these, these characters and, and these filmmakers brought out. So it, it's a total pleasure every single day when I sit down to work on these. So, so thank you for the opportunity. Sure, thank you. We're happy to have you. Thank you being here. Um, with these stories, this goes for you as well, Jim. With the age of stories, um, how do you guys make them feel both big and very personal at the same time? <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, I think, you know, it's almost really helpful to have each one sort of be, it's a standalone story. It's just really focusing in depth on one character and trying to get to the heart of who they are and, you know, in the case of the character, say, like, Anakin, like, why they become what they become. And I think just sort of taking that deep dive, but also just setting it in, like, a moment in their life that, you know, on the surface might not seem like the biggest thing, but just really keys in to their identity and what fans love about them and why they have become such iconic characters. Uh, yeah, it is, it is an interesting balance to have. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it, it's also a challenge because, you know, the, 
a lot of Star Wars stories <laughs> over the years. And so finding a little, you know, a little niche in, in the mythos, you can set a story with an iconic character that, that, that tells something new but also embodies that character, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge. But once you find that, it's such a great little scratch, got a little itch you can scratch, it's been a blast. Can you tease out anything about, uh, let's see, the Leia and Vader issues that you've got? Yeah, so you have to have those covers right here. All right. <laughs> Very nice. I think that's a, is that the Terry Dotson layout? Yes, it is. There we go. Yeah, you can find Terry Dotson in our stuff, by the way. He's awesome. Um, yeah, the, the layout issue is, I don't, can I say anything about the story or should I hold on? You can say it. Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, so, uh, that's enough. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You guys. Mark Pleasia, who's right there, in the big hand, right there, now. It's way um, I think he had thrown out the idea of, uh, of kind of looking at that moment before Leia, uh, spoiler alert, um, saves Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. Uh, you know, she goes in there in the bounty hunter outfit, right? So how does she get in that outfit? You know, how, what's that story? And that was covered a bit in the Forces of Destiny short, um, uh, that the animated short that, that was released a, a while back. But there's a great little story to be told there about, you know, because she not only had to like have, get that outfit, she had to, you know, sell herself as this bounty hunter, you know? And so it's like this, you know, like this Han Solo, but this high mighty princess has to, you know, convince Jabba the Hutt, you know, and Jabba the Hutt's, you know, bodyguards, and she's an actual bounty hunter. Like that's, there's a cool story to be told there about, you know, that, that shows, you know, the, you know, the, the steel in, in Princess Leia, as she, as she claims that identity and makes it her own. Um, uh, uh, so Chewie and, um, and, uh, and, uh, and Lando are in place supporting me in this, in this story, and, uh, and also, uh, Bosk. Uh, I don't know how many, uh, Star Wars fans, but yeah, but yeah, there's a, okay, I'm gonna write the rule. goes Bosk. So, um, but yeah, so you're going to see a different planet, you're going to see a cool adventure, you're going to see Princess Leia become the, you know, push the bounty hunter. She's going to kick some ass. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. And it's about moral and violence. That's what it's not about. And then after the age of rebellion, we do have the age of resistance. Uh, Tom Taylor did not be here. He's in the right there. Um, but you will see that you know, you've got some pretty big things in store. Marvel starting in December of this year, and then going all the way through next year. Where um, I wanted to talk to you next, because you adapted Solo. Okay, everyone give a round of applause to Joey. Where you had the challenge of adapting a film that uh, you hadn't seen. Right. What was that like? It was terrifying. It was, uh, I got to read the script and figure out as much as I possibly could. Um, I was lucky, lucky in the funny word here, um, some of the uh, Ed C had not been approved yet by the time my deadline came, and so they extended my deadline past the film coming out, Memorial Day. So it was like, I could go to see the film and I had the weekend to finish what I could. So what was done? But I had the film to fine-tune a lot of stuff. So the, the, for example, what I had written as Rio's death was a bit bloodier than what was in the movie, so I had to cut that down a little bit, and um, I had trouble. Uh, there was a lot of train sequence that I had trouble picturing when I was reading the script, and I was so happy to be able to see that before I turned the book in. So, I wrote most of it without the benefit of the movie, but then I got to see the movie. And then, of course, the downside of that was the turnaround was really tight. So that was that was not so good. But the fact that I had the time to see the movie was awesome. And can you talk a little bit about the the scenes that you were able to add into the movie? Yeah, I uh, I had I wanted to take uh, the, the movie starts with Hansel running away from dealing on that, and I thought, okay, what deal was that? So I, I took it, the prologue being 
about 15 minutes before the movie starts to see that Neil Gobat is he uh, did the exciting thing of not knowing what he was doing at all and really trying to get one over on these guys who were trying to buy the Galaxian and it failing miserably. And um, I had a bit in the middle, but uh, one thing that was fun is I also had a middle grade book that was also complete. And so I had the movie script and the middle grade book and I'm like, the problem here is how am I going to tell this scene differently from these other two ways that have been told already? And what I came up with a lot was telling the scene from a different point of view of somebody else. So for example, the scene when um, uh, uh, Rabbit Boss is about to kill them for losing the coaxium, I tell that whole scene from Kira's point of view as she's seeing Mom for the first time and watching Brian freak out. Um, but one thing that was my favorite part to add was L3 merging with the Falcon from her point of view. Because that was, uh, I love that character possibly more than most, in, at least any other droid, but she's like in my top 10 of, of all time Star Wars characters. And I really wanted to give her a little bit more what happened to her and, and why she made the decision to merge with the Falcon. So that was, um, I think. And then I did a Hail Mary and thought, why not just ask for all the toys in the world and get to say where the uh, coaxium went afterwards? And then she said yes! <laughs> Which blew my mind. So um, I got to write where Infus Nest goes at, after the end of the movie and where she takes the coaxium and who she delivers it to. Oh, and yes, she delivers it to. <laughs> Yes. 
miniseries from Marvel. Can you tell the crowd what to expect from that one? Um, it's about the morality of violence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, was it Mark? Did you? Where is Mark? I think originally when we talked about it, you were like, like what if Full Metal Jacket meant stripes? That's how, that's how you pitched it. Are you pitching internally as yeah. this is Star Wars meets Full Metal Jacket meets Rush? <laughs> I was like, again, I had to lay back down. Like, what's the Michael Sarah or is the development lay back down on the ground and cry again? Like, that was like, that was me, basically. Uh, I just it was so uh, insane. And then uh, having read the script, it was very clear that there was a window um, that was, some of which was shot and it's on the, the Blu ray that's out now, the, the digital, whatever the hell you kids watch now. Um, and uh, there was just a great opportunity to tell some more uh, story. And kind of, I think we talked about it as kind of like almost like a year one. It's not going to be all of his adventures in, in, in as a cadet. Hopefully, we'll get to tell more stories, but it's been a blast. And, and um, we're, we're, we're having a good time. Leonard Kirk is drawing it. He's, uh, Absolutely brilliant artist, and uh, I get to work with that character at this time. I don't know what time. Oh, you never met. I get to work with those guys and you guys, and uh, there's a shocking lack of R2D2 in it, but um, other than that, I'm having fun. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to segue from, from Han Solo to the Millennium Falcon to talk to Justina and, and to Michael, because you guys are both writing stories for our Fighter Falcon Kids Initiative. And what this is, Tracing the flight of the Falcon, basically from the time before Solo, before the end of Solo, through the saga, just post episode eight, when it went on to Robot Two, which we'll hear a lot more about here. Justina, for you, for Lando's luck, um, what did you want to bring to to No Great Fiction with with this novel? So when I was a kid, Lando Carissing was like the only black dude in the entire galaxy. Um, so I, I feel like that deserves like a proper homage. Um, and Lando has always been like my favorite character because he's a goddamn delight, right? Like he will steal your wallet and then make you feel okay about the fact that he stole your wallet. And so like I really wanted to bring that like that charm and that kind of like the you know how suave he is to a middle grade audience in a way that was also very approachable. Um, because obviously he is not going to have any kind of illicit adventures for the eight to twelve year old set. Um, because that's not family friendly. Uh, and so one of the things I did want to do is kind of show him in a, in a situation where he's uncomfortable and also very uncomfortable. So a lot of that is um, the way he plays off of younger characters in the book. And of course you have L3 who is just being salty as hell because that's the kind of droid she is. Um, and so yeah, so it was a lot of fun and um, I think it's like Andy Lee's illustrations are amazing. So it really takes, gives another like bit of light on the yummy pictures. You looked over there, I was looking for pictures too. Um, but if you, if you um, pick up the book, you see it's like they're very kinetic and they really like give another depth to the language. And you were also glad to some some new characters. I did, yeah. So we get to make new space princesses. Um, and somebody actually was talking about, like, it's not, you can me on Twitter, was like, how is Leia in this book? And I'm like, it's a big galaxy, there's more than one space princess. Um, so you get to meet some new characters, um, because it is a big galaxy, and there's a lot of planets that we haven't talked about. So you can see you know, some new places, uh, you can see some new facets of the underworld. So it was a lot of fun. It's a completely new adventure with a very familiar Star Wars feel. Awesome. And Michael, you're, you're writing the sort of wraparound larger story, which is the actual hunt for the Falcon. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a blast. Uh, so my story is there's like five or six parts. There's like five in the issues and like a big wrap up at the end. And uh, it's kind of cool. It's like the cool thing was that like, I was getting like this wide open space because they're like, tell stories between like solo era and like post Jedi. And like, in my mind, I'm like, well, I mean, I literally been waiting to write Star Wars since I was 11 years old, since I read Timothy, Timothy Zahn's first book. Nobody did that, but I did. <laughs> I wrote the first book, and I was like, well, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. This is it. Uh, cut to all these years later. And so it's like they gave me this like, wide open you know, space to like, tell these stories in between this era. So I was like, well, I'm never going to do it again, so I'm just going like, to try to do my greatest hit. Soon I'm going to get left out of the room. But the crazy thing is, I'm going to get left out of the room. Because people were like, 
I guess people want to know what Apple is up to. That's what my story is. Like, what's Apple been doing? People said, yeah, you can tell that story. Or you can put a security droid's body, uh, or a bail droid's head a security droid's body and see what happens. And like, <laughs> just like all this crazy weird stuff, like callous meeting, like so so um, I got to like stitch this story together that goes across like multi, you know, time spans in the Star Wars universe and then wrap this cool thing up at the end and it's just, it's just a blast. It's just years ago, like, I'm almost done with it. I just got it. It's awesome and it's kind of fun like tracing. Like it's cool to show like the fucking bigger than the characters. Like it's gotten changed hands, it's gone different places, been in different situations. So it's kind of cool to see just the Falcon isolated of like Han, Amanda, or whoever, and like all the places it's been, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, if you pick up Justine's book and uh, the Blue Handers book that will come in January, as well as the Choose Your Destiny, you do get an actual map so you can see the light of Falcon and where it goes uh, through this kids' initiative. So this is, this is a fun little treasure map slash checklist for kids, which uh, we can all take. I want to move next to uh, to Amy. Amy, you've got Women of the Galaxy coming out at the end of this month. Um, first and foremost, congratulations. Second, this is a, a massive amount of that went into this book. Can you tell folks what this is? Oh my goodness, happily. Uh, Women of the Galaxy is uh, kind of a coffee table style book, about 75 female characters. And the profiles are really meant to be like encyclopedic and more celebrations of the characters, some cool things they've done, some memorable quotes, some behind the scenes information, and uh, it was a blast that I did into all of that. But my favorite part of the book is that it's illustrated with over 100 unique illustrations by 18 different female and non-binary artists. And the art, like the book is, now that I've finally seen a copy and held it, one is real, like I believe it now, but it's not just some super like, cruel prank. Um, that would be awful. Um, but the art and the design is just a stunning book. And I feel like the cover, the warm palette, the foil print, like it just flows in my hands. Like I've opened um, the, the arc and then put out the face melt in the end of Jones, and it just, I, I, mean, I want to hug it all day. <laughs> the art is stunning. We're gonna preview a few images in a second, but I want to talk a little bit about the writing because it is, it's both very informative and very entertaining, um, which is really difficult to pull off. Uh, how did you approach that? How did you, how did you pull it off? Man, um, a lot of tissues and crying. Um, and, you know, I love Star Wars and I, I read all the books that I can and I love the behind the scenes book and, and the making of books and all the series. So it was such a treat that to have kind of, okay, I know uh, Nora Wexler did this one cool thing. So I need to go back and find that page and reread it. And I just kind of dove into all of that and did a lot of research and tried to like make notes about the highlights. And it was kind of brought me back to my school days when you make your notes and you try to like present it in the head of think far way back so far. And uh, remember how you kind of research like a paper and I treat that that way and then threw in lots of like fangirl uh, swinging basically. Mm -hmm. sure. That's what this book is to me. These characters are all so special and so different. There are, uh, you know, um, alcohol experts who know the right kind of wine to get. There are heroes, there are villains, there are mothers, there are just a variety of uh, ladies out there in the galaxy and you all super inspire me or scare me. Um, not to put you on the spot, but we have four pieces of art that I want to share with the crowd. We can get a little bit of, of commentary as we go. Um, first up is uh, Phasma. Phasma, my little part of oh, Phasma is, I mean, stunning. Like that costume is meant to be shown in every way possible. And something you can see in, in this piece and all of these pieces is the artists really brought their own individual styles to it. So it's these characters as you uh, either never seen them, some little characters, or never seen them, like as you know, you've never seen them like this. Next up. This is one of my uh, Sienna Reed from Lost Stars, um, at Geneva. I, Lost Stars is one of my favorite, I, like it's hard to pick favorites when it comes to Star Wars, but I adore that story. I adore that having romance in Star Wars because I love romance stories. And that it's still this big galactic battle and I think Sienna is just, and something, I'm just gushing, sorry, I'm super excited. But you can see in these portraits too, like so much of their personality, like this is a younger Sienna, like just so hopeful and ambitious and proud of where she's the Empire, and so much of that comes through. 
where it goes. I, I cannot wait to start talking to you guys about what happens in it. It's very difficult to know what happens and, and not have you guys know what happens, but you'll find out soon. And I think we can also say that, unfortunately, as, as all good things must pass, that Vader uh, 25 is the last issue of this volume. Uh, we are going on our tickets. No, we really high note uh, with Charles and with Cameron on the art. Um, and like I said, this is the end of, of this volume. I just want to thank you on behalf of all of us.
obviously it's been a bit of a weakness on the Chris, if you want to tell folks about what this book is and how you approached it and you got the tone. So this is, you know, it's looking at career advice from the dark side, from all of the fabulous dark side characters, not just Vader, but, you know, we've got a little bit in there about how Snoke can teach us, like, how to, you know, deal with, like, interns, you know, based on the way that he's, you know, based on the way he says, you know, how they're on against each other, and so, you know, it's funny, because there's actually a lot to learn from villains, you know, if you can get rid of all the bad stuff, they're just like, just like villains are usually smart, they're usually, you know, they have a plan, they're usually very organized, you know, they can be really good managers, you know, when they're not force choking people. Um, but really, it's like, it's funny because at once, at one point in my career, um, there was like a series of workshops being offered um, at the company where I was working at the time. So I, I previously worked at BBC and they had uh, a, a class at one point that was just called Be Assertive. And I kind of feel like that's what this book is in a way. It's like using lessons from Vader and the other Dark Side characters that you can really positively incorporate into your interactions with colleagues. And but with you know, this is you know not the end-all statement by means. It's very funny. It's a tongue. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's you know, it's meant to be taken with a grain of salt at the same time. But uh, it's what I just started a new job this week actually. Uh, so I you know a new job at Anaconda when we get crazy. So I'm the managing editor of IndieWire now. And, uh, and so I'm using some of these lessons already. So far, it's still early. Yeah, it's still week one. Well, the flip side, obviously, to the invader is, of course. <laughs> so what was your approach to the Zen like? So this is more looking at mindfulness lessons that all of the Sonic's heroes can, can teach us. You know, how do we make peace out of I mean, we, we feel so overwhelmed by just the barrage of daily life now. I mean, everything that's hitting us constantly, it's just, you know, in, in, in the news or in our jobs or just in our daily lives on social media. It's like you need at times to just like find, you know, a safe space, step back and find a bit of calm. And Yoda's very good about that. He did it for almost 20 years, over 20 years on Dagobah. And uh, so, you know, you don't need to actually go to a swamp planet to find this bit of calm. And so again, you know, this is not like, you know, it, it, this is to be taken with a grain of salt. It's tongue in cheek. It's, I try to make it funny, but, um, you know, it's, I, I really think that like, if you love something so much like Star Wars, that you can't like where you can adopt parts of it to make your own look better. Awesome. Well, we're going to go over a couple, uh, couple covers that I don't think you guys have seen yet. Um, first up is Star Wars Adventures in January. So much like on the Marvel side, I started with some prequel stories. We're going to be doing the same thing with IDW. Um, they're going to become team-up stories starting with uh, the prequel characters go through the trilogy and the new trilogy. And the first one, yes, is Padme teaming up with uh, Jar Jar. Uh, staying, uh, <laughs> staying in the, the, the cool zone, our next Choose Your Destiny is an Obi-Wan and Anakin adventure. This is again written by the great Kevin Scott, with illustrations by the Elsa Chara Pair. And I can't tell you what this one is about, but it looks like you might be in trouble. So. Certainly one to check out. Staying with the uh, the kids section, we're, we're really excited. We announced a book uh, about a month or so ago with Brian uh, Kessinger, who is a former Disney animator, and Roy This is his cover to it. This is very much like if you guys know the the Mogulums, uh, Elven Piggy type books. Imagine that only by way of Star Wars with R2D2 and C3PO and BBA, and it's a, it, it plays a little bit like uh, Peanuts, it's a little bit like Alan Hobbs, it's even a little bit like uh, old silent movies because you really only have one person here who can speak. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun story, this is, uh, this is set for the next year, and this is the first in the series, so we'll see what else he feels like after that. Um, staying on the kid's side, we also have a, uh, a Who's Who character storybook coming out next year. 
And again, this is a way to introduce kids to the saga. Um, and it's a little bit of a different type of who's who. It's, it's character focused first and foremost. So you get introduced to the character, and then you get their story. But again, it's told throughout the saga, starting with one and going up through, um, through, uh, through eight. Um, from there, you know, you have who's who. You know, we kind of thought, oh, you know, there should be like a, you know, like an ABC or, or maybe like an alphabet book. So coming from Del Rey next year, we have a new novel called Alphabet Squadron. And this is super cool. This is written by Alexander Freed, who um, unfortunately could not be here today. But what this is, is the story uh, of five former, former rebel pilots, right, set after the events of who must band together to go after this really deadly imperial strike force. So basically what they can see is what happens when the uh, hunted being rebels now become the hunters going after the, uh, the imperials. And uh, we're really excited about this one. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the days and weeks to come. Uh, so keep an eye on this one. And then the last couple of reveals we have for today is for Master and Apprentice. written by Claudia Gray, and we'll be out early next year. Um, and that is where we're at now. We've got one or two minutes left, so I wanted to throw it back to the panel. There was a question that came up in uh, yesterday's panel that I liked a lot that I wanted to throw out to the folks here. For the people in the audience who want to one day be up here on this panel, is there a, a piece of advice or two that you give them in terms of writing uh, for their career? That, that help you guys, or that, that helps you even currently with what you guys do? I throw out two things. Uh, one is um, just write and finish something. Uh, and do something small. Uh, you know, we all make epic things we want to do. You know, uh, we want to write a movie, we want to write our novels, we want to write a 300 page graphic novel. Um, but uh, when I was coming up, I Little short films, two minute long short films. You know, do something really small, like in the comic, write a write a, a comic strip, write a four page four panel comic that works. Um, and then do another one, and then do another one, and then just you know throw away. I mean, don't literally throw them away. You want to keep all your stuff. It's cool. Um, but you know, set it aside, learn from it, and do the next thing, and just uh, and do it step by step, so that by the time you're ready to tackle your creative page graphic novel, you've got the experience and the skills to, to dive into it. Um, and then the second thing I throw out there is uh, jump on any opportunity anybody ever gives you uh, to write if they're paying you. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and you know, like you know, I came up from film school. I um, but I I did everything. You know, I did improv comedy. I did um, I did wedding videos. You know, I, and I did uh, I I, uh, I and I, I did comics. I, mean, I was drawing strips, uh, and then I also and then I eventually got into uh, writing comics. Something to learn, right? And it's going to teach you something about writing that you might not know before. 
Um, so like, don't turn your nose up at anything. Read everything, read wisely, and then just like believe in yourself because we all have power beats everything. Um, my my theory is uh, my advice has to do with what the word's called work for hire, which is when you are working for somebody else's intellectual property. A lot of a lot of beginning authors have this. Um, need to hold on to the precious gem that is their work. And when you write for someone else, you can't do that. And so you can write the best thing in the world in your mind, and they will go, no. I, I have seen about Infus Nest that Lucasfilm's like, no, we don't want to do this right now. It's not even that it was bad. They just didn't want to do it. And I'm like, what? All right, it's your property. It's cool. No problem. you, you got to let it go. And a lot of people have trouble doing that with their own work. And that you are giving somebody else work and they have all calls, then they will be happier. It's sort of like that old uh, writer's term, you know, kill your darlings. I think it's really important, like there may be a joke or a turn of phrase in your writing that you really like, but you have to realize, wait, am I writing it just for myself or am I writing it for an audience to read? And always think it's, you're not writing ultimately for you, you're doing it for your audience. And so maybe that turn of phrase wasn't all that great. It's funny, just saying this, like, kill your darlings, that actually sounds like a very, you know, like, Dean Warbader kind of phrase. Like, that's something like, kind of like, you know, let the past die, kill it if you have to. Like, you know, just know that, like, if you have, and this is also maybe just because I'm an editor as well by day, but it's like, just be open to advice, be open to edits, know that what, where your, your book ends up could be very different from where it started. And that's a good thing. Uh, my advice would be to don't be afraid to ask questions of people who are in your field and, and ask for advice, but I think it's most helpful if you kind of show that you're really interested and serious, that you are really like, oh, like, how do you do this thing? And I've already done this and this, so like, what are my next steps? Comes off as a little more like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to help you as opposed to like, I just read about this blog thing and I want to do it tomorrow, or so you know what I mean? So it's nice to like, definitely ask for help, definitely seek people out. LinkedIn is great for that, I found and um, social media too, honestly, and just like do it with intent and being like, yeah, this is something I'm really into and I want to, you know, kind of make it worth somebody's time that you're asking. Uh, I, the, I, I echo all the advice of everybody else on the panel. Uh, the, the other piece of advice that I would say, you know, despite writing being generally something that you do by yourself in your mind, sitting at a keyboard with a notebook, whatever, um, the network of people around you, especially as you're coming up, is absolutely crucial. So, um, as you're starting out uh, in any creative endeavor, seek other people who are trying to do it too, because they will be your support network. They will teach you things you don't know. As they rise, they will bring you up with them. Uh, they will give you all, all kinds of help, um, both sort of you know craft-wise and emotional and all kinds of things. And so, you know, find other people who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing and try to be friends with them. Being friends can be hard. But, but <laughs> I'm not that bad, Charles. You know, but, but give it a shot. Uh, it really pays dividends, and I, I think that um, you know, even aside from ideas and research and all that stuff, that the other people on the work finding the lottery through at the same time will be are, are some of the most important part of the thing. Talk to them about business too. Tell them everything. Ask them everything. I, I would just add that um, I would study structure as much as you can. There's actually some people on this panel who have written some delightful books about writing. Um, Structure and then creating a structure for yourself for your own work. Don't wait to ask for permission. Don't wait uh, for inspiration. Um, it's a job, uh, and you just got to put in the hours sometimes, and you just got to allocate the time. But I think structure is, is the one is the one thing that's the, the easiest to learn um, because you can look at it and study it as a pattern, um, and then uh, try to create a structure for yourself uh, for, for work because it's a, it's a job. Uh, you know, if you're writing. Start, if you want to write Star Wars specifically, I think part of the thing to sort of realize is, um, and I can't speak for myself because I'm sort of a chucklehead, but these people are all really talented, accomplished individuals. Um, and they were that way before they got to Star Wars. Um, they're award winners and best-selling authors, and Charles Sewell writes all the comics. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Greg gets to write comics anymore. I think it's always just Charles. So, um, so, you know, it's not just about like getting right in there and being, well, I'm going to start my career and write Star Wars novels. It's like you're going to build to that. You have to start building that career up and building your repertoire of material. 
And um, don't be afraid of that. That means that's a good thing. Building that sort of that mountain of your own work is uh, incredible. It's what will get you here too. Thank you guys. Well, we are out of time, so I want to thank the panelists. I want to thank all.